Today, we're speaking with Amanda Acker, coming from a past of drug abuse, homelessness, and becoming a convicted felon. Amanda has broken through and has been able to let the good things into her life. Now, she's on a mission to inspire others to realize they are braver than they think and deserving of receiving good things too. This is such a powerful conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. Even if your past is very different from Amanda's, please listen to this inspiring message. We are not our past. Every day, each of us has the ability to make new choices. Love yourself and know that you're worthy of an amazing and happy life. If you haven't already, be sure to download our free ebook, 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love. There's a link in the show notes. You're listening to The Inspired Wave, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week, you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact, and together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Okay, well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us this evening or morning or afternoon, whenever you're listening. We have an exciting interview with Amanda Acker. And Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, CJ. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is super. And I appreciate you, your persistence. This was not an easy thing to schedule between the two of us, but here we are. Yes. So it was meant to be today. So everyone's just heard a little bit about you, but why don't you tell us where you currently live and anything else fun you'd like them to connect with? Sure. So currently I live near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in a town called Bridgeville. Born and raised near Pittsburgh. I grew up in another smaller town, Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, but I migrated maybe 15 minutes away. So (laughs) I haven't gone very far. Big commute Um, there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess the thing fun about me is I'm really into music. I'm not a musician. (laughs) So, but my husband is, so I'm married to a metal musician. We really like metal music in this house, headbanging, live shows, screaming, all that. It's not, I can't say heavy metal because then people think Metallica, it's metal core. So it's the screaming type metal. And I also really love to sing, even though I think I'm terrible at it, but my husband is convinced that I'm actually good at it. So I have started a song that I never finished. But I guess that'd be, that's something fun about me. It's just something that, you know, music has always been a huge part of my life. And a while ago I had this coach and she said for all of us to ask five people who are close to us, like five things that they know about us to be true or something along those lines. And my stepmom actually said like my, my music, like how I'm really into music and how much I appreciate it and all different genres, like yes, metal may be one of the top uh-huh. choices for me, but I appreciate all music. So there's that. That's fabulous. <laughs> well, you got to have hobbies and you have to have fun. I know you work hard 
Yeah. And you're busy with the family and everything too. So you have to have fun. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So I know that your story as many, many of ours do started when you were younger. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your youth and growing up years and, and how things evolved for you? Sure. So growing up, I had a pretty typical American life. Like I, you know, I had my mother and father were married. I have an older sister. We lived in a middle-class neighborhood, like in a suburb, which is Kansburg. And things seemed normal. I was very close with my mom. My sister and I had a pretty close relationship when we were younger until she found boys and that all changed. Uh, (laughs) But you know, my mother and I were very close. My father and I weren't not that, you know, there were, there was no abuse or anything, but my dad just was not still is not like an emotionally available person. So meaning if something was going on in my life that made me cry or made me angry, like I never went to my dad with any of that. I would hear my dad tell my mom that she was making things up in her head. Like he didn't, he wasn't open to emotions and that's just how it was. So there was always like a separation, but I'm like your classic daddy issues girl. So I always and still do want to have a close relationship with my dad, but I don't. Then at age 15, my life just crumbled. I came home from school and my dad was sitting on the couch. And I remember this like it happened yesterday. That's how much it's affected me throughout my life. But he looked like he'd been crying and saying that my dad isn't emotional. And then seeing him crying, like I knew something pretty bad had happened. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother had left and they were divorced or divorcing. They were getting separated. And, you know, I thought to myself, where's my mom? Like, I didn't understand at that age why she left. Why was my dad the one there? Like, I didn't even know how to have a relationship with my dad. But that being said, even though we had that divide after my mom left, he did try his hardest to continue raising me. You know, like he didn't do anything wrong necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I few months into their separation, something happened where my dad like didn't show up for a court hearing. So he had a bench warrant. And by this point, my mother resurfaced and me and her were talking again. And she told me about this and said that the cops were coming to arrest my father. And I was like, hmm, like I should probably tell him this. Right. But I didn't because my mom told me not to. So when the police knocked on the door, I couldn't handle it. Like, luckily they didn't take my dad. My dad never went to jail, but I remember coming downstairs and just in hysterical tears. And he was like, what is wrong? I was like, I knew, and I didn't tell you, I knew this was going to happen. And that changed our whole, the whole dynamic because he was like, we're a team. Like, why wouldn't you tell me? And like, it was just too much for me at that age to Mm -hmm. really comprehend because I didn't understand. I was I was in the middle, but not in your typical sense. Like a lot of kids who go through divorce, like mom's constantly talking about dad, dad's constantly talking about mom, but it wasn't to that extreme. But at the same time, 
I always felt, I, that's when I started feeling back. I kept getting backed into corners, so to speak, where I had to pick, like, well, I don't know what to do. What, you know, and yeah. there was nobody there. I didn't have a therapist. Like, there was nobody there to help me navigate through what was happening in my life. So I just automatically just started taking it all on as my own problems and internalizing all of that pain instead of talking about it because I didn't know how to mm-hmm. back then. And then my mom ended up in a very abusive relationship after my dad and up until I went to college like all I remember with my mom was helping her leave him and go back to him and just all this drama and then my dad ended up meeting another woman and I was just kind of floating along on my own this is probably around age 17 when my dad kind of like the drift really started to take place and I had a job and stuff but I mean that was my upbringing. I mean, honestly, like with take the divorce out of it, like mm-hmm. it was a pretty normal growing up. So I thought later on, I found out some things that weren't normal, but oh. that is how I perceived it <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, but such a traumatic event at 15 or, or 16 and the pressure that they put on you to navigate that and pick sides is, I mean, that's not right to put on anyone, no matter how old they right. are. That definitely was traumatic. So did you get out of high school or, you know, what happened as you got a little bit older? Yeah. So around 17, I made really good friends with this girl who I thought was like the coolest thing ever. I wanted to be just- like her she partied the boys liked her I was like yes this person's best friend so we became best friends but when we graduated high school like we had started partying already and I went off to college but so me and her got separated Mm -hmm. and at college you know at first I was okay like I thought I was going to be okay I was okay this is the next step in my life that's but I didn't actually want to go to the college I went to. So long story short, I didn't want to leave home. I'm obviously, I told you guys earlier, Amanda doesn't go very far. So, and the college I went to was two hours from home. And to anybody else, that might not seem like a big deal, but to me, it was. Uh I was too far away. I didn't know anything. My college is like out in the middle of nowhere. So (laughs) I had no clue how to navigate anything. Uh, didn't have my best friend, didn't have my boyfriend. Like I was completely out on my own. So that led me to wanting to find people to accept me because I forgot to mention growing up, I was not popular. I was shy. I had zero friends. So making this friend was huge to me. But the partying took over in college and I didn't get further than one year. I failed college because I couldn't I was like, when I hit 19, something happened. I don't know if it was a mental health thing or what happened, but something shifted and I didn't know how to process anything. I was cutting myself. I was using pills. I overdosed. Like a lot of things happened in that year of college because I was just trying to fit in and I didn't really know how to do that in a healthy way. So that's what transpired. Then after I fell out of college, that's when like, a lot of other things happened related to that because I, I wanted to go back, but my dad refused to help me get a loan. And back then I didn't have credit yeah. or, you know, anything not, like yeah. that. So I didn't get to go back. 
And that was really, really crushing to me. And I internalized all of that as well and just kept using drugs and partying and being in toxic relationships. And I had my best friend still up until the point where we got arrested. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh my gosh. So just to back up for a minute, you must have, I mean, what were you feeling about yourself when you flunked out of school and your father wouldn't help you find a path back? Like, did you, were there other obvious paths besides, I mean, obvious the partying or what were you feeling other than lost? I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lost was the number one feeling, but I don't think I realized that in the yeah. moment I was just angry and sad. Mm-hmm. And my dad was also selling the house that I grew up in. That I was mm-hmm. living in out from underneath of me. So I was living and I would wake up to strangers just like looking at the house because someone forgot to tell me and I was still there. You know, I didn't have cable. I didn't, I only think I had a phone at that point. I'm not sure, but things he just things off and I was just existing in this house that was being sold. And so I ended up moving in with a man and because I didn't know what to do. And so I moved in with this older man because I was maybe 19, 20 at the oldest. And the guy I moved in with was in his 30s already, I want to say. Was so a boyfriend? He was a boyfriend. He was a boyfriend. And I remember moving in with him and thinking, yeah, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I actually like in the moment thought I was cool because I was going to move to this older man who liked to go to raves. Like I know I'm dating myself. I don't even know if raving is something, but (laughs) you know, I was excited about it. And well, I ended up getting pregnant at, I was 19. So yeah, I got pregnant with this man and I remember him being like, well, you know, do we going to keep it? You know, this, that, and the other. Well, turns out that there was a lot of skeletons in his closet. I'm not going to go into like the details of those Mm -hmm. skeletons, but I couldn't, I didn't want to have an abortion, but I also knew that I didn't want to bring my daughter into the world and risk her being hurt in any way, shape or form. And knowing that I couldn't support us on my own. So I gave her up for adoption. So I was... I believe, I want to say I was 21. I had to have been 20 because she'll be 18 this May. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That, can I just say, I mean, what a hard, hard thing to do, but it really was a gift to her. I imagine that, you know, she, that was a very, I mean, you didn't see a way clear of it other than that, but it definitely was a unselfish thing to do to give her that chance, you know, without you. I'm sure that was really hard. So, okay. Yeah, very hard. But I did get pictures recently of her. Well, just to skip forward to, so this makes sense. I had another daughter when I was incarcerated and they're together. So I gave them to the same family. So they're actually blood sisters. And I recently got pictures of them and I'm just blown away. Like it just, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about the life that they were given because if I would have kept them, even though there are times where I'd be like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, you know, who doesn't go through those moments. But I know that I could never have given either of them the life that they have now. Yeah. Yeah. Timing is everything. Yeah. So that was And well, and especially when you were incarcerated. So tell us 
you don't have to give us details about how you got to that point if you don't want to, but but tell us about how long you were in prison or what that was like and what that did to you. Yeah, so I'll tell you briefly what happened. It was a robbery. A man, a much older man, I'm talking like old enough to be my grandfather, uh, sexually assaulted me because I thought he offered me a job and I thought he was being, I met him at a strip club, so how naive I was and truly believed that he was going to pay me to do admin work for his million dollar business. But come to find out that he was, I was being, I just now recently realized what was actually happening. He was grooming me. So he was trying to pay me for sex and I don't know what would have happened if this would have kept going. So mm-hmm. looking back, I do think that me getting arrested saved my life in a sense, but he took advantage of me. Like I, that whole story is very hard to talk about, but it happened. And then whenever that all transpired, like months go by and it was my best friend, same girl I told you guys about from high school. My best friend's birthday is coming and we were addicted to cocaine and we had no money. We couldn't pay our rent like it was really bad. And she's like, well, let's just rob him, meaning the guy who did what he did. And I was like, hey, like not thinking that we were actually going to do it because me and her would come up with crazy things like that all the time. (laughs) Nothing ever happened. And but this one did. And, you know, I remember driving out there And not wanting to do it and looking over at her and saying, we're going to jail tonight. I can't do this. And she got very angry and said, whatever or something. I'm sure she didn't say whatever. It's probably something more, (laughs) more obscene. Colorful. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, pull over. I'll just drive. Now, this was a moment that when I think about what happened, that if I would regret anything, this was, this is the moment I regret because I should have left. I should have said, fine, whatever, but you're not taking my car and I'm not coming. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. Yeah. I literally got out of the car, let her get into the driver's seat and then got into the passenger seat passenger seat, and proceeded on with this mission. We had three other people with us as well. So we didn't, long story short, didn't even make it out of the parking lot of this guy's apartment complex. I was pulled over at gunpoint on one of the busiest streets in Pittsburgh where there was people like on the other side of this highway because there's like restaurants and stuff Mm -hmm. and looking down at us while this was going on and I have been sweating from like morning till now I think it's like evening so I'm just like sweating profusely and shaking and I remember them like you know it was like driver get out you know hands in the air and they literally guns drawn and I had never been Even I never even had detention. So I'm like insanely scared, crying hysterically. And then they put me face down on the pavement. And the cops told me that if I told the truth, I told them everything that I would not see jail. I was like, why wouldn't I do that? Because I had my son who at this point he was two. And I was supposed to go and pick him up. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, this will just be a blimp. You know, we'll keep going. And so I tell the cops everything, literally everything besides for the fact what this guy had done. I'd left that out. But the whole, the whole shebang told him everything, even wrote it out, wrote it on paper. And they did not let me out. So I did go to jail. I had $10,000 straight bond, which I can't remember 
there's two different types of bond, but the straight bonds like the worst of the two. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the other one is. And then after finding that out, I'm now locked up with my friend who now knows that I told the truth. And so now what we like to call is I'm a narc. So I, cause I told, I didn't know. I was just trying to go home. That's all I could think about is I need to go home. I need to go home. I went out of this, anything. I watched everyone get bailed out, but myself. I called my dad from jail and he told me that I made my bed and now I have to lay in it and hung up on me. And he was the only person that I knew that had money to bail me out. And I was stuck there. So I was in for a week before I got bailed out. My mom and my ex actually got the money together to get me out. And then I spent a whole year of my life not knowing whether I was going to jail or not, which was fun which led me down some other dark paths and decisions. And when I got sentenced, I was pregnant. In that time, I was stripping. So I met a guy at the club and he ended up getting me pregnant right before I got sentenced. So, yeah, but everyone but me went to state prison. So I was lucky. At least there was that. I didn't go to state prison. They all got five years I was in county jail for one, I think it was one one year less one day to two years less two days, something weird. Because when you're in county, you don't stay any longer than two years. Like if it's, that's complicated. We don't need to go, mm-hmm. but sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, you know, then I went to jail. I got sentenced and I was pregnant. And honestly, like at first it was really scary. There's no other words that I can think of to describe it, but terrifying maybe. Yeah. Like it was just really scary. You know, I did have the week in main population when I got arrested. So I kind of knew what I was in for, but it changes, right? The same people aren't going to be there that were there a year ago, typically. So, you know, I go in there and I realized in my time of incarceration that we can't judge other people. We can't, because before I went in, if I would have seen any of these women on the street, I would be like, oh, well, thank goodness I'm not her. Thank goodness, you know, look at her doing that. Oh, she's a prostitute. She does drugs. But when I went in there, I realized that I'm no different than any of these women. And these women are no different than me. You know, just because I didn't grow up in, you know, the projects, you know, or anything, I didn't have to struggle growing up doesn't mean that I'm somehow better than anyone. And it taught me a lot about people and the fact that, you know, we're all one choice away from losing our freedom. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us can wake up tomorrow and lose everything. It's one One choice. That, you know, and we're only surviving the way we know how, right? Like I didn't know any better. I needed money. It's not... I wasn't, I don't even know how to explain it, but when you meet these other women, when I met, when we, like you were there with me, when I met these other women, you know, I realized like, oh, like she was just trying to provide for her family or she got, she's an addict and, you know, she was using heroin and couldn't find any more drugs and was sick and didn't know what else to do, but rob someone or to prostitute, whatever it is, you know, and we just have to, I, that's the biggest lesson. I Being incarcerated was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was awful. I don't want anybody to go if you haven't yeah. already. Yeah. But it was 
I survived. Yeah. I was just thinking that year in limbo waiting to be sentenced must have been horrible too. Like you yeah. you can't start anything. You can't really live your life. You're just on hold. Um, and then, and then off you went. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, honestly, the time of not knowing was worse than the time I spent mm-hmm. because when I was in jail, like I knew what my days were going to look like. I knew I was there. I had my sentence and all I did every day was work on getting out. You know, I had, I felt like I had like, that was my purpose. I need to get out of here. How can I get out? I ended up eight months into my sentence. I well, not eight months. I got out eight months later, but I had my daughter while I was incarcerated. I was in work release though. So I was not shackled to the bed or anything when I had my daughter. It wasn't that traumatic. But giving her up was really hard. It was harder than my first because with my first, I was very young. You know, I I was still very young at this point as well, but I had my son, you know, and now I'm giving her away and the family came to see me. I got to meet my oldest. She was about four or five at that point. Wow. And then I handed my daughter to them and that I just lost it. It was, that was I can't really talk too much about that. It'll make me cry. But after that, I got released. Well, I got released because I wrote my own motion to my judge, hand wrote a motion to get out early. Wow. And they they granted it. Yeah. So how do you think it was when while you were incarcerated that you became more aware of choices and the path that it had led you on or, you know, at what point did things shift for you? Because obviously you've turned your entire life around. Yeah. <laughs> like, was that a 180? Yeah. So how did you become more aware and start to shift and be able to put some distance between the person you were getting into all that trouble and, you know, where you are now. So that was not most people, you know, I think would think that going to jail was my wake up call. Like, yes, it was in some aspects of my life, but I still hated myself. I did not find myself in jail. I didn't. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like that going on for me. I hated myself. And now I had a burden. Now I'm a felon. Mm-hmm. Now well, you probably, I would think, had a lot more reason to beat yourself up on yeah. the bad decisions you'd made and the choices and, you know, it's all my fault kind right. of. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was really hard, you know, and when I got out, my son was about three at this point, maybe four. And I going into jail, I had custody of him, but I asked his dad to take care of him while I was away. And when I got out, all I did was try and find a program where I could get him and we'd have a home. And and I found a program, but my ex, his dad, took me to court and said that and hired some fancy lawyer. I had no money, so I couldn't, I had no chance. And he took pretty much all of my rights away from my son. Man. So, yeah, I went. just kept coming. Yeah, it just, it didn't stop. I ended up in a three-quarter house which, you know, was nice. I was in outpatient therapy. You know, I was living amongst other women who were in the same situation as me, but I was miserable inside. I didn't 
I didn't, I kept, I was, I kept searching for someone to save me. That has mm-hmm. always been my thing. I always wanted someone to save me like a man or mm-hmm. something like anything, mm-hmm. like, please save me. And like in, in the fairy tales. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And in searching for my knight in shining armor, I wound up in a very toxic relationship. Again, this was not my first rodeo with this kind of stuff. My ex, he's not, he was not physically abusive. He uh, was just extremely narcissistic and had a lot of mental issues, which I won't, I'm not going to divulge those, but, and I was with him for seven years. I was using still, I was drinking. I was just, I just wasn't a good person. Like when I look back, like now when I tell these things to people, it's hard for me to, I don't recognize that person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully removed myself from that person. But about crap, it's probably been almost three years now ago, I had my final, my, my final rock bottom. I just, I had had this job and I made friends and I thought, oh, these people are so great. And I had left my ex, I was dating my husband and Anne got married to him in this time frame. And I was listening to all these outside voices. So I wasn't allowing myself to be me. I was still being that chameleon. I I wanted people to like me, you know, love me. And they were telling me that my husband was good for me. And then my ex was also breathing down my neck still at this point. So a lot of things were, I felt like I was just being attacked at all angles while I lost that job. And in losing that job and almost losing my husband, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I wanted to end my life because I didn't see the point. I was like, I'm just going to keep getting hurt or keep hurting people. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. I just felt that's all I did was either I was being hurt or I was causing someone else to be hurt. But in that spiral, yeah, and just constant. And I could never stay out of it long enough to like see anything different. So in that moment, though, in that same moment where I'm sitting in my closet crying, wanting to just end my life, I don't know what happened, but something changed. And I said, no, like, I won't ruin my life. I'm not going to end my life because I have to figure out why this. What is it about me that I'm attracting all this toxicity? life you know who Mm -hmm. am I like I didn't even know who I was three years ago what I was going to do with my life I was a disaster (laughs) a walking disaster and then I asked for help you know and that was the first step in my recovery and in my self-love journey and you know I don't think I it wasn't really a drug addiction recovery so to speak I I did give up all drugs I don't use drugs anymore or drink but It was a lifestyle recovery. I like to say that I was addicted to the lifestyle. I was addicted to the drama. I I always had people around. I was never actually physically alone. Mentally, I was always alone, but physically Mm -hmm. I wasn't. And it was really hard to let that go. But in asking for help and really talking about my feelings with my husband, that's who I asked help from. (laughs) You know, it strengthened our marriage. You know, now we're, we've been married for four years and we have a house. Like we started off in a small apartment. Now we have a house. Like we've been growing together. His trust for me is fully restored. Like my kids, you know, my, my eight-year-old daughter and my 15-year-old son, you know, they have their own bedrooms and everything's just great. 
you know, but that's not to say that my life is perfect. I'm not trying to sit here and say that my life is it's not, <laughs> but I have now I know who I am and what I want because I stopped allowing other people to dictate my life. Period. Mm, so important, but you have to really learn to love and, and value yourself before you stop listening to all those other voices. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Like the answer was always there inside of you, but you have to love yourself enough to go inward. And that's scary. Yeah. Too. That's- it is. Yeah. I, you know, and in my experience, like now my way, how calm my life is, like I'll have days where it's like, I can't handle this calm. And on top of that, I made a decision too, that I can't work anywhere that has direct coworkers. And that sounds weird, but this is something that it's a boundary that I have in place that I can't, I work remotely for the most part. And when I am in the office, like nobody's there, even pre pandemic, I work in a mental health practice. So it wasn't like I was exposed to a lot of work coworkers. I had one coworker too. Yeah. So it's not anything like that, but I can't emotionally handle workplace drama. I get sucked into it. I fall victim to it. And so I decided to be like, okay, like this is something that I can't handle yet. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it's going to stay like that. But right now I know I can't. So I get now I've been getting very lonely though. So I was telling my husband, I was like, man, like I really wish I could just go back to working a normal job, like in an office with other people. And he goes, you know, you can't do that. Right. And I'm like, oh man, but you know, we have to have these boundaries in our lives we have to know what is good for us mm-hmm. you know maybe a couple of years from now that will be something I can do but right now mm-hmm. I'm still healing I'm still on this journey I have to figure out what works and what doesn't work for me mm-hmm. and that's what we all need to be doing because it's not up to society to tell us what we should be doing it's not up to our parents even to tell us what we should yeah nobody but you knows what you quote unquote should like. yeah Yep. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. Been one, yeah. It's been a journey. That's, that's a good word. We'll Holy keep it at that. <laughs> so you have two of your kids are at home with you now. You've yes. Two. Yes. I do have two. Well, my son, which is the same son that I mentioned that my ex took pretty much all my custody away from me, but me and him are super close now. I see him a lot. If there's no issues there. And then my daughter, she's eight and I have 50, 50 custody with her dad. So, which nice. is nice. I, I love, I just, I love my kids so much and all of them, all four of them. And I just want what's best for them. And I mm-hmm. feel like everything happens for a reason. So I do have, I was very angry at my ex for what he did with my son for a long time, mm-hmm. but I chose to forgive him for myself. Like, no, I didn't go up to him and say, Hey, I forgive you for this, but I forgave him for myself. And that helped me have a healthier relationship with my son because I didn't have any anger anymore. I don't feel that like need to be like bad mouthing or anything Mm -hmm. like that, that has gone away because maybe that was just how it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And I can't change what I have no control over. Yeah, that's a really powerful lesson and takeaway right there. Forgiveness, which I mean, you had a lot of stuff to work through and process and forgive, but that is a really, really healthy 
and powerful place to to be. Thanks. Yeah, it took a while to get here. You know, my whole thing now is I want to help other people because I lived in shame, guilt, fear, all those words and then Mm -hmm. some for ever since I was released from jail. And that was almost 12, 13 years ago now. And I hit it. I was ashamed of myself. I didn't Mm -hmm. want people to know, but I want other people out in the world who have gone through the same or similar situations to know that it's okay and that Mm -hmm. there is hope on the other side and we don't have to stay silent because I stayed silent for too long and I want other people to tell their stories and let the world know that yeah we may have criminal records or we might be addicts but but first we're people yeah and people do I mean as you said it's all you know one choice one choice away and if you could go back and choose differently, you would have probably at that time, although it certainly it made you who you are today and was meant to be. But it is just one choice frequently. And then, you know, people have new choices to make when they get out and can make and are, you know, have the power to to move in a different direction. Right. Which is a really empowering message from sitting here talking to you. Thank you. That's a great, great uplifting message to share. There's hope and and choice always, no matter what path we've gone down or where we find ourselves, there's every day new choices. So do you have, this is, you pack a punch. That was a (laughs) lot, a lot, lot, lot to go through in such a short amount of time. You've got like each, every time you brought something up, I thought, man, that's like a story in and of itself. That's like- <laughs> yeah, there's so many. And that's like, pro- that doesn't even like touch it. Like there's so much more to what I've been through, but those are like those pivotal points, yeah. you know? And, and it's when I get on podcasts and stuff, I'm always like, I bet you could listen to any podcast I've been on. You'll hear a different little version of <laughs> everything I've been through. So, but that brings up in my mind, I know you have a podcast where you share little snippets from your story. And so in more depth, how can people learn more about you or find your podcast? Yeah. So you can go to my website. It's amandaacker.com. My podcast is called the Let Good Things In Show. And it streams on all platforms. And also on Facebook, you can find me, Amanda Marie Acker. You can friend me or you can join my Facebook group, which right now it's called the Let Good Things In Show, but I'm going to be changing. All right. (laughs) Well, we will include links in the show notes so people can find you. And yeah, because it sounds like there's still more layers to that story. We might want to hear more about. Amanda, thank you so much. This has really been an inspiring afternoon to share. I appreciate you making time to share a little bit with our listeners. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this and I'm glad that both of us were able to get our internets to work correctly. So (laughs) it was a big fingers crossed moment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you for tuning in today and make it a great day. If you're like most women, you have a big dream on your heart and really want to make a positive impact in the lives of others. But self-doubt, fear, or other limiting beliefs often get in your way. 
What many women don't realize is that the one thing that can catapult them forward is deepening their self-love and self-esteem. So I have a free ebook for you that's really going to help you in this area. It's called 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love, and you can download it at the link in our show notes. Enjoy. Enjoy.